As a working mom, I was spinning on my heels trying to be everything to everyone without realizing overwhelm had its firm grip over me. And it's no wonder since we juggle many identities and responsibilities and tendencies to shy away from our awesomeness. Does this sound like you? I believe one of the keys to successful living is activating our personal power. The question is, how do we do this? Join me each week as I uncover actionable tips from experts and intentionally aligned working mums who, like you and me, are on a journey to boost their personal power. My name's Roxana. Welcome to the Personal Power Boost Podcast. My guest today has undergone the most extraordinary personal transformation. Just like me, my guest is from a British Pakistani family and like many of us born into immigrant families, she encountered the many challenges of straddling two cultures, two identities and the daily challenges of feeling like an outsider. Today, she has one foot in the corporate world, holding down a successful career And over the past four years, she has invented, developed a product and actually launched it successfully. She's a mother to two young children, originally from the northeast of England and now living in the south. Today, she shares her step-by-step journey of how she went from a misfit to knowing that she can do anything she puts her mind to. Welcome back, Sophia. Thank you very much. So I had you on the show not so long ago and we talked about success and satisfaction and your answer was amazing and I thought I must have you back because I want to know a lot more about you and I know my listeners will really benefit from hearing about your personal transformation story, um, how you became the Sophie that you are today. (laughs) Well thank you, thank you for inviting me back. You're welcome. Now, Sophia, let's go straight into it. I want to know about your backstory. What kind of town or city did you grow up in? What was your childhood like? So I, I grew up in um, Sunderland, which is in the northeast. Um, if you haven't heard of Sunderland, the best way to describe it is it's next door to Newcastle. And um, so, yeah, I grew up. I was an only child, actually, for for the first seven years of my life. So I would describe it as being um, a little bit lonely. And um, in, uh, in in Sunderland at that time, growing up in the 80s, it wasn't very multicultural at all. So at school, I was... I was going to, I was going to say pretty much, but it's not pretty much. Um, I was, I was the only brown girl in, uh, in primary school and secondary school. You were the only Asian girl. Yeah. Yeah. And oh my God. What was that like? You know what? I just, um, I, I tried my best. I, I think back now and now I kind of acknowledge like, that's crazy. How could I have been the only Asian girl in, in school? But um, at the time, you know, you just kind of try and fit in and, and go along with everything. I remember certain little things like um, there'd be an assembly and there was a hymn that we used to sing. And the first line of the hymn was, you know, a child is black and a child is white. And I, I still remember the whole school turning around and looking at me every time that line came and I just remember hating everybody looking at me and um, on top of that, because um, 
I'm from a Muslim family. I had to wear trousers to school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty common now, but back then it, it wasn't really, I'm going to say it allowed. Um, but yeah, so I was the only girl on top of that who wore trousers as well. So I, I must have really stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky I had some nice friends and just kind of, I kind of got through it, but I always, deep down inside, you know, there was always something there about never fitting in and it didn't matter what I did. I did always feel like an outsider. I've got to be honest with myself. Mm. Um, and, you know, and sadly, um, you know, going home and telling your mum and dad about it, you didn't really get any um, empathy or <laughs> words of assurance. You know, parenting back then um, was a lot different to what it is now. And, you know, I, I kind of was a little bit um, angry at my parents, hmm. if I'm honest. But, you know, now that I've um, kind of dealt with my demons a little bit, I understand that at that time they were doing the best that they could. It wasn't like they were intentionally not comforting me or being empathetic or encouraging me. They, they you know, they, they didn't know. They didn't know how to kind of be there for us and... I guess they had their own problems to deal with. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned this because um, I've, I've obviously had lots of um, Asian clients over, over time. One of the common things that I hear about is the issue around emotional support, the lack of emotional support for children of, from our parents' generation. So people who would now be probably in their 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and not not that it's not that it's obviously every single person, but quite a few of the clients that I've worked with have brought it up as a real issue that affected them. The fact that they couldn't access that emotional and social support that they needed at home to be able to say, this is what it's like. This is why I feel like a misfit or why I stand out. And to be met with empathy and to be met with understanding and to be to help figure out a kind of a middle ground, which is, I think, what we would probably do nowadays with our children. I would like to, I would like to think. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And I, I never, I never thought about it with that kind of terminology. Um, but you're absolutely right. There was no emotional support. To be honest, there wasn't even um, for for me any physical um, support either. I, I remember. To this day, you know, I, it sounds crazy, but I, I miss not getting hugs and kisses from, from my mother. And it's crazy because, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grown woman now, but I remember being a child and sometimes just wanting a hug and a kiss and somebody to say like, you know, it's going to be all right. Don't worry. But just hearing you seeing what what you've just described about being a misfit it just made me realize it was the same for my own mother you know she came here when she was 18 she left everything that she ever knew she married a stranger entered a a new family um my dad had um 10 siblings so she entered a household of you know 12 strangers which she was then expected to run she didn't know the language here. She didn't know the culture. 
And so, I, I, you know, obviously she, she was trying to do her best to, to fit into this completely different world. And it, and it sounds really extraordinary, doesn't it? Today, 2020, sitting here and thinking about an 18-year-old girl leaving her country, um, marrying a man she doesn't know, entering into a family that she doesn't know, and then having to run that household in a way that is probably subservient as well. You know, I don't think this probably, I don't know if this, is, this was true for her, but I know for my mum, you know, she, she was expected to do the graft and the work, but she didn't have a say in how things would go. It was the same. It was the same. I think, you know, it, I think it's pretty much across the board, sadly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that was your mum. Your mum was living that experience. And then how old was she when you were born? I was born when she was 20. Wow. So she was still quite young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I know, I, you know, I know for like um, other family members, they, they were married at 16 and they had their children a year later. You know, I think for all us second generation British born Asians, um, this is a very common theme. Mm-hmm. And I, I do believe our generations had it the toughest. You know, I, I really do. <laughs> Yeah, I think that we, well, we were a product of immigrant families, weren't we? So, you know, they're trying to figure out who they are and how to function and how to preserve their culture. And this idea that you talk about, well, it wasn't an idea, it was a reality for you that you had to wear trousers to school. Um, And I guess all of that was to preserve the culture and the religion without necessarily understanding where you're coming from. I mean, that, that just wasn't, that just wasn't the done thing back then, you know, understanding your child and their needs and their insecurities. There was very much this culture, there was very much this relationship between you and your parents where what your parents said was signed, sealed and delivered, no questions asked. Mm. Um, and, you know, part of that was culturally because we are brought up to respect our parents at such a... Um, such a high level but also I mean yeah you just didn't question it you just you know otherwise you'd um you know I think back in the day I think it's very common to say you'd get the uh the brown shoe the the, the shoe (laughs) shoe. you'd get the shoe you would and it was you know it was it was standard you'd uh you'd get some beats and uh if you questioned anything so it was either put up or you know you, you you'll you'll get the shoe yeah, gosh, I know. And it sounds really like when, when we're saying it in 2020, it sounds like, <laughs> oh my God. But it was a reality for all of us growing up in the, in the um, late 70s and 80s. This is, this is just how it was. Um, all I remember from my childhood is being a peacekeeper, to be honest. I mean, don't get me wrong, they've, they've had a good relationship, but they've also had a lot of ups and downs and what I particularly remember about the Downs, unfortunately, is uh, the lack of communication. There was none of this sitting down, talking about your problems, um, figuring out what's happened, why it's happened, what's the resolve, right? Let's, let's resolve this, let's put it behind us and let's move on. There was none of that. It was silent treatments, um, using me as the messenger. You know, I, re- I remember sometimes sitting them down and getting them to talk things out I remember how old were you you when you were doing that honestly it's ridiculous I must have been six seven 
Oh my days. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Um, yeah. And it, it's, and now I think back to that and I'm like, how could they do that? Cause I look at my kids when they were six and seven and, and I just can't even imagine putting them through that kind of emotional stress and pressure. Um, another thing they would do is, you know, if they'd have another argument in the future, they'd always bring up the previous one. Um, so there was none of this dealing with things and moving on. Um, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't great. And when, by the time my siblings came along, I was the third parent. There's, there's, there's no other way to describe it. Um, as the eldest, I did have a lot of responsibility. Is that, is that what you mean by the third parent, that you were, you were involved in raising your siblings? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that I was, you know, having to clean nappies and things like that. Um, and I know some siblings who have had to do that. Mm. Um, it, it wasn't to that extreme, but things like, um, you know, because my um, mum my didn't know the language, I'd have to make phone calls to, you know, why is the gas bill this high? And, you know, when you're a kid yourself, you don't even know what you're saying and what you're doing. I remember having to go to parents' evenings and having to, like, translate what the teacher was saying about my siblings to my mom. And um, yeah, I remember my worst thing was every time I had to return something to a shop, um, that would be me who'd have to explain to the person what had happened and why we're returning it, all that kind of thing. And, you know, and yeah, I think I, I learned from a very young age how to take the lead and take control of situations. Well, I say I learned, I guess I didn't have a choice. I had to. You had to be the leader. You, it sounded like you were not only a um, third parent, you were also a relationship coach. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Wow, that's extraordinary. So, Sophia, that sounds, I mean, it, to people listening in 2020, kids that are growing up, you know, millennials, if you like, probably listening to that thinking, what, that's a bit shocking but actually that was a reality for quite a lot of us wasn't it in the 70s yeah. and 80s and I think um we 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 made we're making peace with it some of us are and some of us are still feeling a little bit like it was an unfair childhood but I, what I'm hearing from you is that it's actually made you from a young age it made you become a leader it helped you to become a critical thinker it helped you to figure out how to solve problems and how to figure out life, figure things out on, on, on the go, spontaneously, you know, having to return things when you don't know what to say, having to speak to electrical companies to talk about the bill when you're a kid. It's like, you've, you're just winging it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was just winging it. And I'm saying all this to you now, and I'm saying it sounds absolutely crazy, and I can't believe my mum and dad did that to me. But at the time, obviously, you don't know anything different. So I'm saying this thing, things to you now because I'm looking at how my children are being brought up, and I'm like, God, I remember when I was seven, I have had to think about the positives because I've had to make peace with, with kind of what my childhood was like. Because once I did realize that um, the consequences, of of what my childhood was um I obviously had to do some some work on myself to kind of make peace with it all mm. and part of the work that I did was to um understand what the benefits were 
of my childhood, of those experiences. So those um, life lessons. If yeah, you like. Yes, exactly. Now, Sophia, I'd love to know, so you've, you've launched your business, you've launched your product rather, and uh, it's called the Roddy Box. And for anybody who doesn't understand what that means, it's, um, so Roddy is another word for chapatis. You should explain this. Tell our listeners what you've created. Okay, okay. So in the, um, in the South Asian culture, so uh, with Indians and Pakistanis, um, roti or chapati, which is an Indian flatbread, is part of our staple diet. Um, we, you know, we have it for almost every meal. Um, and what that involves is making dough and rolling it out into a circle before you cook it. Um, the rolling out process of that can be very messy in terms of you have to dust your worktop with flour to stop it from sticking and then you've got to roll it out. Now, the worst part is when you're finished, you've got to clean up all that flour. Um, so let's just say you've done that for lunch. By the time the afternoon's here, you've got to repeat that process again, get the flour out, dust it down, make your roti, clean it up again. So if you're doing that two to three times a day, that's a lot of back and forth. It's a lot of cleaning. Um, so Roti Box has been designed to basically eliminate that step. It's so you can make your roti in the box, all the flowers in the box, you, you roll it in there. And when you're finished, all you've got to do is basically close the lid and put it away until the next time where you would just open it up you're rolling pins in, in there, the flowers in there, and you just uh, you just basically start from there. It's um, it's got some other added benefits as well in terms of it's got a non-stick surface, so the rolling process of the uh, roti is a lot smoother, easier. Um, I've had a lot of customers say they're actually using less flour because of the non-stick surface, and it's making their rotis more fluffy and soft, which is a great thing. And uh, it's also made with Biomaster antimicrobial additives, which inhibits the growth of bacteria. That's what I always call the science bit. Um, but what, what that means is it's going to be more hygienic than your kitchen worktop or a, a chopping board or a wooden box that some people use. Um, but yeah, that, that's it in a nutshell. I wanted you to go back four years ago, or maybe it was five years ago. So the moment that you decided that you wanted to do something. So you had a career, you were working in your career, the children came along, you were carrying on working. But at what point did you think, I've got this idea and I want to see if it can become something. Talk me through what was going on in your head and how you started to develop your thinking. I've had the idea for 20 years, which makes it even worse. So yeah, it's always in the back of my mind, never did anything with it. And then it was actually about four years ago and, you know, you're asking me what was the turning point. Mm. I have to give the credit to my friend. One of my best friends who's called Jo, we were having dinner, it was my birthday. And she had very recently been on her own journey of leaving her corporate job and she had started getting into property. And while she was doing that, she had discovered personal development. 
And during dinner, she asked me a very simple question, and that was my turning point. The question she asked was, um, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Sorry, that was one of the questions she asked me. But the question was, what are your dreams? Oh, wow. Big question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when she said, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I was like, I don't know. And she was like, come on, so. She was like, I want to know. She was like, what are your dreams? When she asked me that, I was just silent, which is not like me. Um, <laughs> I just didn't know what to say. And I, and I do remember some things that I said, which and I, this was like number one on the list, was to pay off the mortgage. And mm. she just looked at it as like, that's your dream. And I was like, yeah, I want to pay off the mortgage. I want to save money for the kids to go to uni. And then maybe we'll go on a cruise after we've uh, retired. And she was just, and, and she just kept saying, but what about you? What do you want to do? Couldn't answer the question. And then um, she basically, she kind of opened my eyes to this thing that there's a world outside of nine to five. And it sounds ridiculous, but I didn't know. I didn't know that there was something outside of nine to five because I had accepted, brought up to believe that that was life. And even my husband, you know, that, that, was, our, that was our plan. We're going to work until we're 60, 65, and then we'll retire, and then we'll go on a cruise. That was, <laughs> that was the plan. So, I mean, you're laughing, but it's, 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 it's what I really, truly believed. So when she told me that, you know, there's ways of making income where you don't have to go to work every day. There's ways of investing or doing this or doing that. And, you know, she started saying, like, imagine, she's like, you know, imagine being able to do what you really want to do. And she was more kind of talking about her own journey and story. And I was just so intrigued. So what kind of mindset shifts did you need to have in order to think that you could do this? when I started focusing on, on what I can do. And because I was thinking differently, um, and this bit, you know, it sounds really cheesy, but I, it's the truth. I'd, I'd watched a movie called Joy, and it's a true story about the inventor of a super mop. I was home alone that weekend. Um, I watched that movie, finished at one in the morning, and that was it. That was when I decided if she can do it, I can do it. Mm. And I wrote my product brief that night. I didn't go to sleep until I think 4 a.m. because I was that excited. I was that buzzing because I'd made the decision. I am going to launch Ruddy Box. It's done. This is day one. Uh, and because of all the personal development and because my mindset had shifted for once, it, it, you know, it felt like I can do it and it is possible. Everything had kind of aligned deep down inside. I always had this belief that there's got to be more to life. Sophie, along the journey of creating, inventing, designing, creating and developing your Roddy Box, when you, you must have faced obstacles. And when you did... What did you say to yourself and how did you keep yourself moving forward? Because I felt so strongly that I was going to do this. I had this goal. And, I, and I, know, I know that in life, whether it's work or personal, things aren't easy. Obviously, you always have obstacles in your way. 
I mean, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting this many obstacles, but I, I knew it wasn't going to be a smooth road. I don't know. I just had a one track mind. I just had a one track mind. I was focused and I just thought I'm being tested. I'm being tested. How badly do you want this? Um, you know, I spent a year working with China and after a year, the product that they sent me, I, I couldn't, I couldn't launch with that. I mean, I could have, but I made the decision. It wasn't, it wasn't my vision. And then, and then when I started working with a new company, they told me it was going to take three days in design. Those three days turned into two years because I couldn't compromise on my vision. I just couldn't compromise. And at one point they even said, this is over. We can't give you what you want. So what did you say? So when you got that news, it's over, Mm -hmm. can't continue what went on in your head and where, what were the voices that propelled you to keep moving forward? You know, that, that was a face-to-face meeting and it took absolutely every strength that I had not to cry in that meeting. Um, it was in Wales. And, um, you know, when you've got a shaky voice, but you just want to get out of there. Mm. I, I just left that room and I said, right, okay, Thanks. Because obviously we talked everything through and uh, my, my engineer, he was called Clive, he just said, I'm sorry, Sophie, I just can't do it. So then I left and when I got in the car, I had a good cry. And I remember driving all the way back and just feeling really numb because previously when it all went wrong with China, I was just like, I moped about for a week. But then I was like, right, take two. We go again. Hmm. Take what I've learned and I start again. But this time, I'd worked with this, this guy really closely. He's an expert. He's really good. That just made me think, what am I going to do now? And I think eventually, eventually, I would have found somebody else. I would have. But when I was in that car, I was just like, I just felt numb and I couldn't believe it. But you know what? Part of my journey, Roxana, has been has been a lot of um, faith. There's been a lot of faith there. I'm a very spiritual person. I do believe in God. And um, I, can only, I can only thank God really for, for s- certain things that have happened, which sometimes you can't explain. Mm. A, bit like, a bit like how I did start working with these, uh, with these guys in Wales. That was a phone call out of the blue. They got hold of my brief somehow from China. And just like that was, you know, a stroke of luck or God, God watching over me. That the, the same guy who told me I can't do it yeah. was in the shower and he had an epiphany moment. He rang me a week later and he went, I've cracked it. The project was back on. Oh, wow. That's, a, that's almost like a miracle. Well, there you go. Wow. I mean, I've seen loads of miracles, Roxana, and that's, you know, honestly, uh, yeah, that's how it all kick-started again. Wow, that sounds amazing. So the product has been in the process of being produced for the best part of four years. And I know that in January this year, you finally launched your product and it's been met with a lot of success. How does it feel to finally be in a position where you've finished your product? Not necessarily finished it. I'm sure you'll evolve it and continue to 
think about how you can improve it. But how does it just, how does it feel to finally be there at a point where people can buy your product? I launched on January the 17th. And I remember when I had to um, upload my advert onto YouTube, because that to me was, that's it. I'm out there now in the world. This is it. And I remember physically shaking because I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe after all this time that it was actually happening. I can't even describe it. It just felt unbelievable because I thought that day would never come, despite always being persistent. For that day to actually come was just unreal. And it took a while for it to sink in. Um, in terms of how it feels now, I feel like I've only just scratched the surface. I feel like there's not enough hours in the day. I feel like there's still so much that I, I need to do and that I want to do, challenging trying to fit it all in. I feel like a balloon that has still got so much more to do and give. To, and um, I'm just ready to burst. I need to do like a slow release and... You know, <laughs> But I'm, you know, like I said, I just feel like I haven't even got started. That's amazing. But I, I guess that I'm, I'm trying to get to, to understand what it's done for your confidence, what it's done for your mindset now. Actually, it's quite interesting that you bring that up because um, I launched in January, but it was around November, when was it? I think it was around November, December time. I'd hit, I'd hit more roadblocks and things weren't working out. And then um, I, I, I did this exercise. I thought, am I creating some blocks myself? You know, what, what's the problem here? Why, why aren't things moving? Why, why do the factory keep getting these problems? Why are machines keep breaking down? Why is this happened? Why has that happened? And I, I, you know, the, the thing with personal development um, and working on myself and you know this sounds like you know I had this idea and then I worked hard and I didn't give up and you know look at me now but the stuff that was going on in the background no one's ever gonna know or see that you know I, I spent a week writing down every single reason why I believed that I didn't deserve success wow okay I spent a whole week doing that work and there were blocks which I had, blocks about, you know, obviously it's all, it all did stem from my childhood and it was kind of festering inside me in my subconscious mind. But, you know, I did that work. I've, I've been on courses. I've done NLP. I've had therapy. I mean, you've heard my childhood. Um, it, it does have a, a knock-on effect on on how you think and what you believe. I have had to do a, a lot of work and my, my thing now is, because you're talking about the future and how you're going to run things, is the business side is one thing, but what goes on inside, honestly, is equally important, if not more. And I've got to consciously make an effort to keep my mind right. Because now that I'm out there, um, I've opened myself up. I've already been trolled. Um, I was trolled so bad that I didn't want to get out of bed for three days. I had to, you know, now, now if somebody says anything to me, it just bounces off me. I couldn't care less. But I've 
got to keep doing that work and keep my mind in the right place if I want to keep moving forward. Yeah. It's critical. And what does keeping your mind in the right place look like for you? What, what is that? What, what rituals or routines do you have that help you keep your mind where you need it and want it to be? Well, I, I, I pray. Obviously, I pray uh, five times a day. I, um, and, and for me, praying is gratitude. That, that is my gratitude. That is my meditation. Um, and that is my affirmations, you know, affirming what do I want. In addition to that, I have got affirmations as well, which I, I read before I go to sleep and first thing in the morning. Um, I do do um, meditation with, a, with an app, Headspace app. I read. Um, I like to watch Les Brown. I find him very inspiring. Oh, he's amazing. <laughs> And so basically, um, I mean, I read this book called The, um, the Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. So I, I try to have an hour every day in the morning where I do all those things, which is the, you know, the, the silence, whether it's meditating or saying your prayers, your affirmations, visualizing what you want doing a bit of exercise well I'll be honest with you since uh, since the lockdown I'm struggling with the exercise bit um reading and scribing but yeah it's um it's important to keep keep reading those affirmations and believing them and visualizing because if I don't I go back to my default settings mm. my default settings sadly like I said uh which stemmed from my childhood are that you know you don't belong, you don't fit in, you're not good enough, nothing you do is ever good enough, who do you think you are, you think you can do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't, it's always can't, 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 so I have to, I have to do the work to keep my mind right. Absolutely, and I, I, I think that so many of my listeners will relate to what you've just said, the default position of most people tends to be the negative that I can't, or it won't work for me, or that I can't, you know, that it feels impossible. And I think that once you've been through a journey of personal development, and you learn some techniques, and you learn some ways to, to override that negative thoughtfulness, that's primitive within all of us, it's easier to be negative. Um, It's much harder to stay, um, not just positive, but to be, to feel wholesome. Mm-hmm. you know to feel whole and to feel joyful um but it's been amazing thank you so much for your time today I think it's just extraordinary the journey that you've been on and the the ups and downs of your childhood that I, I feel have really shaped you to become the woman that you are today the driven ambitious confident problem-solving individual that you are and it's apparent um, to me and I'm sure to many of your customers and people in your life that um, you are going to keep growing and, and just become more and more of who you are. Thank you. I hope so. And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to, to share this uh, with you, Roxana, was because um, it's not about, you know, me and you know Roddy Bark. I just when I was growing up there was no one um, there were no like female Asian role models 
um, we're a lot more fortunate now, obviously, with um, internet and social media where we're exposed to that. But I, I just wanted to share that, you know, I'm nothing special. My childhood is pretty much like everyone else's growing up in the 70s and 80s. Mm. All I've done is acknowledge that there's a different way of thinking and a different way of living um, in a more positive world, in a more in a more possible world as well and that that's all I've done and I just want to encourage other people as well to to do that you know that just because things are a certain way right now it doesn't mean that they've always got to be like that um that you 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 can make a change and I honestly feel like I'm living proof of that I mean my story you know you'd need another another few hours if I told you what my character and my personality was like, you know, I was miserable and negative. Um, but I, I have honestly, truly transformed. And it has been through coaching and therapy. And I'm not ashamed to admit that. And I wish that more people would embrace it um, and understand like how life changing it is. So for me, if there's even one person listening to this who thinks, wow, I want to look into this, maybe I've got some blocks that I need help with or I'd love to be able to think like that then I feel like you know this has been this has been a worthwhile exercise. Sophia your story is going to inspire so many of my listeners and it's not only because of what you've become but it's also because of the trials and tribulations that you faced and how you overcame those and I think the thing that really stands out to me from you is that before you even knew how as a child you were already figuring life out and and you're living proof of somebody who had a dream and took one step after another developed a fighting spirit and launched in a way that is only going to propel you to greater heights I hope so. Oh, I'm so I'm so pleased you came on the show today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation with Sophia Chowdhury. You know, the things that really stand out for me is that Sophia has actually been on a transformation journey since she was a little child, having to figure life out, having to be this third parent in her household having to speak to elders and to know how to have a constructive conversation to resolve issues and problems. And it does make me wonder if maybe unintentionally she's been nurtured to become this tenacious um, leader, this entrepreneur that we've spoken to today. Unintentional in the sense that, you know, her parents had a need and they needed her to be a certain way. And through that experience, she's become this person who can figure anything out, who doesn't take no for an answer, who is creative and resourceful. And I just wonder how much has been attributed by her childhood. And the other thing that Sophia said that really kind of made a a big effect on me was that this conversation, this kind of pivotal conversation she had with a friend who asked her just two questions. What are your dreams and where do you see yourself in 10 years? And Sophia had never really thought about these things. And I do wonder if Sophia hadn't been asked these, who would she be today and what would she be doing? 
But because she was asked these questions, it led her down this extraordinary new road where she started to learn about personal development, to learn about being a businesswoman, to be creative, to be resourceful, to find contacts, to design her her royalty box and engineer it and to understand what it's going to take to bring it to the market, all while she was being a mom and having a corporate career. So I'd like to leave you with two questions to ponder. What are your dreams? And where do you see yourself? To find out more about Sophia and the Rorty Box, please go down to the show notes where you'll be able to find all of her social media handles. And she is definitely worth a follow and looking up because she is um, on this amazing entrepreneurial journey. And I know that she will share so many nuggets with you. So do look her up. I'm Roxana Hussein, and you've been listening to the Personal Power Boost podcast. You can follow Personal Power Boost on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, please go to the Apple podcast and rate and review this podcast. Do join me next week for another Personal Power Boost. Thank you so much for listening.